Whether you're a polyamateur or polyambitious, polyambiguous or polyam, I really hold your head high. Let your freaky flag fly, cause your polyamory should be uncensored. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, episode 84, where we are talking to Tom. Stay tuned as we talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. So, hi, Tom. Uh, Who are you? Uh, uh, I'm Thomas H. Brand. I'm a writer and modern relationships blogger based here in good old North London, as we were just chatting about. Uh, so, yeah, I'm primarily, you'll find most of my writing is in the polyamory relationships scheme of things on Medium or on my website as well, which is slowly being built up kind of in the middle of a revamp of my website at the moment. So it's not as pretty as it could be. But yes, mainly on uh, Medium, I've been polyamorous as i've been in non-monogamous for a little over 10 years polyamorous for a little over three years and uh, yeah that's kind of who i am i'm also a writer of other things as well i write fiction i'm a ghostwriter. um yeah i think that's a quick intro to who i am right how do you identify oh yes sorry i identify i'm basic standard boring uh, cis white straight male I do wish I was like a little bit more interesting but it's also about just being honest with who I am and happy with who I am whilst we welcome aware. all kinds here <laughs> yes whilst being aware of I, call, uh, I can't remember who came up with the phrase but I like calling it living life on easy mode <laughs> it basically is being very aware of how things in my life are a lot easier because of how I was born and where I was born compared to other people. It's all a process trying to learn and better myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yes, he, him, straight, cis, white, male, all very basic. (laughs) So what does polyamory mean to you? What does polyamory mean to me? I think the best answer to that is uh, boiling it right down. I think it just comes down to freedom. I think sort of comparing my my old monogamous life to my current life, yeah, it sounds a bit trite sometimes, but I think the easiest way to think about it is I'm free from constraints that society or religion or whoever puts on the idea of what a relationship is. It's like, even if I don't want certain things that are traditionally accommodate or traditionally associated with what people call polyamory, I'm still free to have them. Yeah, and like the, the th- way I always say it, it's like whoever I meet... Uh, I meet somebody new, I know even back of my head, if I'm not interested in anything with them other than a brief conversation, I'm free for that brief conversation to develop into anything from never seeing them again to spending the rest of my life with them. And it doesn't, none of that relationship depends on someone else. It's not like, oh, I've got this person, this person's great, but I can't go a certain way with them because I already have someone else. Obviously other people 
have to get taken into consideration. It's ethical non-monogamy after all, but it's not like, oh, this person's great, but I can't see where this would go because I already have someone else in my life. It's that freedom to know that it could. Mm-hmm. And also in like, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Away. Also like the freedom to know that, which it is a freedom to know it could go the other way as well. It mm-hmm. sort of is freeing a bit to know like I could be in a relationship that's like strong, beneficial, rewarding, but I know that could change as well, which doesn't really, you don't really associate that with being a freedom, but it kind of is. I mean, it's freedom from multiple points of view, you know? Yeah. It's a, yeah. Freedom from the way we all assume our relationships are or, right. or relationships have to be. Let's put it like that. Freedom to create your own script. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that sounds like a good way of putting it. So what drew you to polyamory? What drew me to polyamory? I mean, I mean, our story begins, well, my polyam, my non-monogamous story sort of began actually just after I'd been married for about a year with my then partner coming to me and admitting that her and a friend of hers who had, gr- had grown very close and stuff had happened. Not She hadn't like slept with them, but she very much would have liked to and more stuff had happened than was acceptable in friendships. And we sat down and I realised at the time I've never been a traditionally jealous person. It's another topic. I don't believe jealousy really exists. But I was like, this actually sounds fun. I was more, I mean, it was kind of transactional at that time because it was very much a, oh yeah, I'm okay with you doing that. It doesn't bother me. And that means I can do that as well. This sounds like fun. All of the fun, sexy times can start happening. That's great. And that's how we basically got started. And I will say the next few years, it wasn't like particularly, as much as you can't really call any polyamory successful, I won't call it the most successful non-monogamy due to like lack of education, not being prepared for the difficulties. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to be non-monogamous now. Now everyone will just want, I will just get sex just like that all the time. <laughs> but yeah, then it was, yeah, it was on and off for a few years. And then like three years ago, again, that then partner dated, like met someone and they dated like three or four times, which neither of us had ever done before. And then, so we sort of had the conversation of, do we want to sort of upgrade, quote unquote, to polyamory rather than just like, non-monogamy and hookup culture and we thought yeah that'll be fine let's give that a go so we'd not it wasn't like we've met neither of us had met someone because then then they never actually saw that person again just because the way life works sometimes but we liked the idea and opened ourselves up to it and then a few months later i met someone who again it was just like met them at a bar we got chatting they like they sounded interested in the idea of polyamory and they ended up being my first proper not secondary, but second partner who I now currently live with. So it's all sort of grown over the course of what must be like 11 years now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, if anything, do you find difficult about polyamory? Oh, quite a lot. Polyamory is hard in the same way that relationships are hard. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, it must be so easy, but it's not. I think the hardest thing about learning polyamory is one sort of accepting that it's not easy. Just because people are polyamorous doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be like you or want to do stuff with you i think a lot of it. i think the hardest thing which not necessarily for the nature of polyamory itself but for us and society and the way we think about relationships is letting go of the ego i think a lot of polyamory and non-monogamy is like getting over this idea that we are so special that we're the only person someone else needs and it's not about us what a lot of people have a harder time getting over, even if they don't realize it or it gets framed as something else, is the concept that their partner can be perfectly happy 
or perfectly sad or any emotion, and it doesn't involve them at all. So it could be that my partner goes off and is having sex with somebody that they love and they're having a great time. They come back next week and they're like in the best mood and none of that's to do with me. Like they're not happy because of me. They're not continuing to be happy because of me, but that doesn't matter. It's not like, oh, I'm not important to them because it's not all about me. I think especially, I mean, no, not especially, but I think it affects men and women differently just because of the way society constructs masculinity and femininity, and especially with toxic masculinity. I said, I nearly said it affects men more. That's because that's the life I'm, the world I'm living in, trying to deconstruct toxic, toxic masculinity. This whole idea of it must be, it's all about ego and mm-hmm. your relationship. You must be the strong one in your relationships. You have to, I've written about it quite a lot. The idea of you must be the one who satisfies mm-hmm. your partner. And you don't, shouldn't need to ask for what, what needs to be done or ask for help or learn. It should be a natural thing that any man can satisfy any number of women. And it's just letting go of all of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sorry. I tend well, to I do think also um, there's a sense when someone is unhappy of like, I must fix this. And oh, God, yeah. we don't have the power. <laughs> you That's... know, we may be able to be supportive or helpful, but we can't fix people. That was a big part of my learning process for just relationships and life in general that I learned through polyamory. Because, like, back again, yeah, old my past relationship with my ex-wife, again, it's an amicable breakup. It's not like our relationship exploded or anything like that, but it was very much along the lines of, for me, I was very insecure when I first started dating them. And I had this whole mindset of, I have to be worth them, worth their time, which meant I had to be useful which meant I had to solve all the problems and be there for them and to fix everything. Cause otherwise what was the benefit they got from being with me, mm-hmm. which like you say, was very unhelpful, unhealthy and unhelpful. Yeah. And so a lot of my learning has been, yeah, it's not my responsibility. That's for them to sort out. I will sit back and make sure that they're aware that I'm here when they need me. And like I say, in my new relationship, that's been a big thing as well. It's just stepping back and learning to go, yeah, they're having problems. They know I'm here. I'm going to get on with my life and not step in and try and be the white knight who fixes everything and is the traditional man who is the solution to everyone's problems. That does sound like a healthier approach. Mm. It's been one of the big fit parts of my journey. So when did you first, I mean, you talked about this a little bit, but when did you first know that you were polyamorous? Was it all in the context of those relationships or were there clues earlier? Looking back now, I can see... It's weird. I was talking about this with a friend yesterday and I can't quite put it into words. It's like throughout my life of being monogamous and then just being non-monogamous, but not polyamorous, I can now see what I was missing that I didn't know I was missing. The whole of freedom to be like intimate and romantic with with multiple people and have that building up those relationships. I realize now that I missed that. And I think, but learn, realizing I'm polyamorous sort of like came over time. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like I say, so originally our non, my, my ex's non-monogamy was based around, yes, let's have fun. We weren't looking for anyone else. We were very secure in our relationship, which was the foundation that allowed us to start building ethical non-monogamy. And it was like, yeah, we want to have fun. We got together very young. We want to make sure that we don't look back when we were in our 50s and realize, oh, we wish we'd enjoyed ourselves more before settling down. So it was more along the lines of that. But then, like I say, when we suddenly realized... Actually, the idea of dating other people seems quite nice. Let's give polyamory a try. And then when I met my new partner, 
And that became rather than just a nice casual fun thing, actually. Oh, now I'm developing feelings for this person. It was like, yes, this feels right. Being like in love with two people doesn't seem weird or wrong. I'm realizing now that, yeah, I couldn't, I know some people who have been like polyamorous and non-monogamous and have gone back to monogamy because they've met someone who's monogamous and they've gone, right, yeah, I'd rather have this person than still be polyamorous. And I don't think I could do that. I mean, never say never. I can't say that I'll ever meet someone who is so special. I'm always open to the idea that people's relationships can change as much as they want and it's perfectly fine to find one person who fulfills everything you want. I just can't see myself going back to that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I actually think that's sort of a toxic idea of it uh, in and of itself. Even if you choose to be in a monogamous, romantic and sexual relationship, that person isn't everything. Yes. Like, it's still important to have, you know, friends and people that you hang out with and, you know, recognizing that 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 sort of couple culture where one person is supposed to be your everything is actually unhealthy for everyone. 100 percent because it's illogical when you think about it because like say in like normal quote-unquote life we all have friends it's like yes you have your partner but you have other people so say so, so you might want to play football with your friends and your partner might not be interested it's no one thinks it's weird that you go and have friends but you do different thing with things with exactly. it's this idea that once you have one romantic person and then for some people it's like oh you can't have friends of an opposite sex or an opposite gender, because then it's just a sexual thing. And it's weird. You've got to have one person of the opposite gender. Well, I think that's a fascinating thing that is particular to sort of heteronormative culture. Um, I think that a lot of heterosexual couples will make an exception if the opposite gender friend is gay or lesbian. Like, yes. oh, OK, well, you don't count that. <laughs> but it it's really a fascinating thing as I've never met any queer couples who had that kind yeah. of, uh, you know, how dare you be friends with someone of the opposite gender? Yeah, you're right. I've known friends before, like actually the first non-monogamous couple I knew back at university and they had the rule of they were allowed to play with people of the same gender, but not anyone else again, because it wasn't a threat. Right. We're going to go and run off with another woman. Right. Which is sort of, you know, belittling when you think about it. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's a weird way. You can't it's all catch about... feelings for somebody who doesn't have the same body parts I have. Yeah. <laughs> but it's going into that whole sort of possessiveness and ownership thing. It's like you are mine and therefore no one else can have you because love is a zero sum game or this ridiculous idea that like, none of us, like, oh, if we spend time with other people, eventually it boils down to insecurity. It's like, well, if you spend enough time with other people who are cool and fun, you'll prefer them to me. Right. Which right. doesn't really make sense. I mean, if that's true, then your relationship is why I've always hated the phrase, oh, I trust you. I just don't trust them. So, right. Well, yeah. if, you trust, if you trust me, then what do you think? I'm just, I have no power over the situation if they hit on me. The other trust doesn't matter if you trust me. It doesn't yeah, matter how much exactly. you trust the other people. As long as you trust me, it shouldn't matter. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's what? very annoying, but it's all about possession, really, and fear that you're going to lose the person you own rather right. than having that. It's also, it's so. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, yeah, the feeling that someone will go away, but they want to come back and they will come back. Mm-hmm. And also, I think obviously there are people who are heterosexual exclusively, but yeah. many people fall somewhere in a sort of more middling spectrum. So the idea that you couldn't possibly 
be attracted to anyone of your same gender, but you absolutely will be uncontrollably attracted to any friend of yours who is of the opposite gender. Like when you think it through out loud, it sounds ludicrous. Yeah. Especially when you sort of like, once you're talking about it, it's like another thing I found like being in the polyamorous and non-monogamous scene, realizing that most people are not one or it's not a binary thing. I know so many people who have an issue. I was talking to a friend recently, actually, and they were saying like they have a real issue with labels because they said they would, they don't feel that they're straight because they do find like people of the same gender attractive and they've never like dated anyone, but they're not against the idea of it, but they're not really pursuing anyone of the same gender. So they don't feel comfortable saying they're like pan or bisexual. Mm -hmm. And so they get very much, they were like, I just want to be able to do what I want as and when it comes up and they have a big issue. So it, we mean, I'm a big proponent of labels at times. Sometimes I do worry or feel it can't, it sort of puts us all into boxes and it's like, you must be like this. Right. You like the same gender or the opposite gender or both genders. And that's also going into the whole minefield of how many genders are there. And it just <laughs> right. becomes, it's so much easier when people Where are Where are all like, the yeah. non-binary people in this equation? Yeah. It's like, oh, they don't exactly. exist. Okay. And once you start taking in non-binary people and everything like that, it's just like, well, actually, yeah, that kind of just negates the concept of we find attractive who we find attractive and it doesn't really matter what their gender is. And, it right. just, and labels can be a starting point for a conversation, yeah. but they just provide incomplete information. <laughs> yeah. I always say be wary of people who are just like, I don't do labels because I find sometimes you just need a label, even if it's just to quickly explain to someone something like a lot of polyamorous couples or non-monogamous couples like, no, we are not boyfriend and girlfriend. We don't like that label. That's not our relationship. But sometimes when there's somebody else out in the life who wants to go, oh, what are you two? It's just easier to tell them, oh, that's my girlfriend because mm -hmm. it gives all the information that they need for that moment. And it's not like, right, let me take 10 minutes to explain non-monogamy and what we are and our exact situations. Like it was just a question. I don't care. Sometimes <laughs> I don't need to hear break. the whole polycule structure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all love a nice conversation where you sit down and go, right, I'm going to tell you about my polycule structure and it's going to take 20 minutes. I think every polyamorous person loves doing that and just really getting into it. It makes us all very excited. But sometimes you do just need that really simple box to go, we are this, Great. Now you know enough. And in the future, we might come back to it and explain that we're not in that box. We're in these boxes. Right. But, you know, for, you know, when the bartender or your yeah. elderly aunt or, yeah. you know, whatever, like, yeah, I can just use a shorthand that will provide you with enough context that you're comfortable. And it's yeah. fine. Saying I have two boyfriends is nice and quick and easy, but it might be a whole other situation for someone who's ready to hear it. Mm -hmm. Like you say, your elderly aunt or your grandparents who just are a bit thrown by it. And I just want to accept you, but don't need to know all the details. Exactly. When, if ever, have you felt different from other folks? I have always felt a bit different from other folks. I think just all my entire of life, I've never been like, not in the, I don't want to say normal. Let's just, I've not been like in the mainstream. I've never been one of the cool kids. I've never been one of that, that big crowd. I'm not saying like I've been a, like a loner sitting on their own all the time. It's always been like the slightly like quote unquote weird chilled kids and the ones who like things like live action role play and Dungeons and Dragons and watching movies and like liking cult movies, not all the big things. And you look back and realize all the things you said you liked as a teenager. And now I've sort of realized like I didn't like them. I watched them because everyone else said they liked them and all of that. But I realized and and now I've got to the point where it's just like, oh yeah, I don't I I'm not like everyone else, but no one is like everyone else. 
and I do kind of look at people and it's like, oh, look at all like the majority of people following fashion and watching the same TV shows. And this really bores me, the idea of being the same. And I feel bad saying stuff like that because it feels like I'm belittling people who would like sitting in and watching Strictly Come Dancing of a weekend or The Voice or whatever it is. I personally would find find that mind numbing. And I don't know what it is. There's probably more to look into it about that, about me wanting. Sometimes I think there's an element of people who just like being the other and they like going, oh yeah, I'm not like other people. I'm not like the mainstream. I'm off doing the interesting things on the edge. So I'm sure everyone is thinking that. And then there were things that I like, which are just like, yes, everybody likes this thing. You are not interesting. You are doing your own thing. You are just doing what everyone does. But yeah, I think that feeling of not being normal, and I think it was like heightened a bit during since becoming put out about my polyamory. But I think I'm a bit luck. I'm quite lucky with my friends. They're either quite like, oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about it. Or, oh, yeah, one of my oldest friends, her reaction was the best. It was just like, of course you're like that. And then just carried on. We've never really talked about it. It was just, of course, you're doing something weird like that. Actually, no, the best response I ever got from announcing I was polyamorous was my mother, who just looked at me and went, that sounds like a very London thing. (laughs) Uh, My dad immediately started telling me about the person he'd had a crush on for the last uh, 50 years, but uh, that he didn't think my mother would go for it. (laughs) Fair enough. One of my partners told their mother about it, who he just responded with, oh, I did that once in the 70s. Yeah, my mom did the same thing where she was like, oh, yeah, your dad and I did that, except we lied about it. I was like, actually, it's the opposite. But OK, thanks. <laughs> yeah, appreciate you're trying to relate to me. Yeah, mom. yeah. Uh, yes. nice. You're in the right ballpark, but it's not quite the same. Um, so where would you say that you are in your poly journey? Ooh. I mean, at the moment, I'm at a bit of a crossroads. Like I said, so I was married for 10 years and then that relationship lasted 15 and that ended during lockdown, unfortunately. So that kind of shook everything up. So before it was, I had my marriage, which was nice and open. Then I had my other partner who I saw at least once a week. And it was sort of nice and established that this is what we have. And then all of that was thrown up into the air, obviously by my marriage ending. So moving out, moving in somewhere else, all of that so at the moment, what I'm at, this has been a long sort of process the last couple of years of trying to work out what I want. Because like coming out of the marriage, you sort of look back and go, yeah, I was very happy in my marriage. It was 10 years I was very happy with. And it was like very, a lot of it was very heteronormative. So now I'm looking at things going, what do I actually want? So like me and my partner always knew we wanted children. But now I'm looking at it going, we never did. And now I'm looking at it going, do I want children? Or do I, have I always wanted children because that's what I've been conditioned to think that I want. And it's other things like, do I want to get married again someday? Obviously, I'm, I'm not against the idea of getting married someday, but it would be very different to my original marriage because it's very much I'd have to come into it from a non-monogamous point of view and I wouldn't want to have something with all the same heteronormative patriarchal associations that marriage does have. So I think that's the stage in my journey at the moment. It's like, what do I want do I want more like serious, more than one like serious, loving, romantic relationship? Or do I want like one like committed, serious relationship and then lots of like friends plus or friends with benefits or long-term like committed relationships that aren't like romantic and settled? You could also have those like long-term. Yep, this is my partner. We do stuff, but we're never falling in love. We're just very happy with what we have. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that's where I am at the moment. It's doing a lot of reading and researching. Going, right, what exactly do I want? What's out there? Mm-hmm. And also, what do other people want? I can sit there and go, right, I want this, 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 and this. I can't then go out and select all the people off the shelf who will fit into this lovely model I want. Meeting people always will involve adding extra right. people and adjusting your expectations and your wants to the reality of life. But also at the same time, if you don't know what you want, you're just sort of drifting in the wind of what other people want. And sometimes yeah, yeah. that doesn't work. Like, it's no, like it oh, it turns out that I got blown this way and this is not a way that I want to get blown. I'd like to come <laughs> back and, you know, find my direction. Yeah. Obviously, things like the pandemic have not helped. I said, my yeah. marriage ended and I went to move, lived in with, moved in with my parents for a year. It wasn't too bad. I quite like my parents, but a year was about as long as I could. Long and time. now I'm back in. So now, like the pandemic's wrapping up, fingers crossed, and I'm back in London. So it's like right now I'm back in a. So I have a social life again. I can go out and see people and date and do things. So it's very much. So it's all kicking off again and going. Yes, let's figure out exactly what I'm wanting in this stage of my life. Mm-hmm. And again, I could decide all of it. Like I say, in twenty years' time, change all again. Absolutely. Life changes. There's no, oh, yeah, you're like this now. That's your life. Because I find that idea incredibly depressing going, oh, yeah, you're 38 now. This is what your life will be. Wow. I'm hoping there's a lot more of my life to go and I don't want it to be exactly the same for the rest of my life. Yeah. Hopefully you're not even at the halfway point. Right. So like you've got so much more left. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of hoping I've got a few years before halfway. Yeah. Um, our, Our next question, actually, you kind of touched on this, but um, our question to go along with where are you in your poly journey is where do you hope to go? And if you have any like poly goals? I don't know whether I've got poly goals. Like at the moment, I kind of have been looking to wanting, like I say, more another like established, like more committed relationship. I'm finding recently that I'm missing that a bit more of that. I wrote an article actually about it. It was just called, oh, it was called I Miss Being Someone's One and Only. Because obviously, like, as much as I'm very happy in polyamory and I can't imagine going back to monogamy, I can remember that feeling when I was younger of going, I found this one person, I'm all they ever want, they're all I ever want. Isn't this nice? We are a two-person team, 50-50. And that's kind of looking to like capture that sense of feeling without wanting to go back to the, yes, we are a team. This is the only person I need. This is the only person, I'm the only person they need, that sort of ego boost. The team can only consist of two. <laughs> yeah. I think I kind of want, I love the idea of kitchen table polyamory. I like the idea of like you live with someone, but your other partners are around as well and you'll share and lots of stuff. So I think if I did have any goal, it's going to be something similar to that. I love mm-hmm. that idea of just like everyone having game nights or having meals together with your polycule, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. kind of had for a short while. Like I say, my old my partner and my ex-partner were very close so she'd come up and the three of us would have movie nights and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it was always, I like that sort of cozy family feel, but just mm-hmm. like a new, not like the traditional idea of what a nuclear family is, the new family of like, these are the people I'm close with. I quite like that. So if I had any goals, I'd say I'd be finding that again. Mm-hmm. But I don't have like a structure because I want this. I want to have me and my partner living together, but both of us having other partners who stay with us and all of that. I know I just want that. It's a feel I'm looking for, mm-hmm. I think is the best way to say. I know what I want to be feeling. I know the vague idea of how that will be created. But mm-hmm. what if, what and if I come up with will be constructed over time. Right. And, and how it builds. Yeah, I um, am embarking on just such a journey sort of 
currently. And when I first got divorced, I thought I absolutely don't want anything like that again. I'm, you know, independent and, you know, living with just myself and my children and all of the other relationships are sort of not um, at that level of intensity or um, enmeshment in one another's lives. And, uh, you know, it took a while for me to not to be open to that even. Um, But actually, I'm now sort of trying to figure out timing on when am I going to go move into the duplex downstairs from my girlfriend and her husband and across the street from her other partner. And (laughs) it's sort of one of these like the we're building the fantasy commune. (laughs) Oh, the fantasy commune. The dream of every polyamorous friend group I've, <laughs> I know exactly. is that idea. We'll all go buy a big farm, farm somewhere <laughs> in the country. And we'll have a cottage. Well, we are staying in the city, but uh, yeah. but other than that, yes. Every so often we see like big houses in the city or like a block. Like, it's just like, oh, if we just bought that and then we'd all have our own room and we'd have a communal kitchen. It's like <laughs> this lovely dream that we all go back to communes. and Yeah, absolutely. Like, hey, you know, little- we can have this person make dinner on Mondays and this person make dinner on Tuesdays. And <laughs> little 10 person communities. <laughs> Why would you say you are poly? That's an interesting question. I've had lots of discussions about the difference, like the debate between is it nature or is it a, just like a decision? Like, are we born polyamorous or do we just decide this works for me? This is the option. I want to take it because I think it works for my lifestyle. Or is it like, no, I was born this way. Because I completely forgot it. Like after I'd been polyamorous and open for a little while, my mum reminded me of when I was in infant school. So that's like age, what's the ages of five to seven? Mm-hmm. And she reminded me that I used to go around all the girls in my class and like give them the ranking of which girlfriend they were. And every few days, I'd go around and tell them, "You're now my number one girlfriend. You're now my number two. And I just rearranged them in the <laughs> ranking. And I'd completely forgotten about that. So there's like, was that like my inner polyamory coming out? But then. Got weaned out of me, or was that just like a six-year-old just ranking people? Go, you're my favourite because you have no social cues or worry about how people feel when you're six. You're just saying what you feel. But yeah, I mean, I personally feel like it's natural to me, and that I'm polyamory, polyamorous because that's who I am. I like that freedom. I like bursting out, ridding myself of the idea of ownership and patriarchy. And I think there's an element of that as well. I like that, even if it was, if it is a choice, I like, I think it's a natural choice when you start thinking about breaking out of all of the old concepts and social barriers and this is how things are. It's going, well, why are relationships, marriages structured the way they are? Because there's a lot of toxic stuff going on in like the concept. I mean, marriage is great. I'm not against marriage. Like when you look at things like the, even like little things that people like doing, like the father of the bride giving the bride away. And you look at that and that's possession. Right. 100%. How much more patriarchal does it get? <laughs> yeah. But people like doing it because of tradition. It's like when we got married, my wife got married, she wanted to get given away by her father and he wanted to give her away. And it's like, yeah, it's that's the nice tradition people have. It's like, well, it's quite patriarchal, that concept and things like that. And as soon as you start questioning them and bringing them all down, it's like, oh, actually, yeah, a lot of what I've learned is wrong and polyamory kind of makes sense and it's the freedom for people to have what they want again out of my ego and it's nothing to do with me i make them happy and they want to be with me if they stop wanting to be with me then that's another discussion it might be sad but it might be the sort of thing that needs to happen 
And uh, why did you reach out to be interviewed today? In a way, I just like talking to people about polyamory and having any excuse. Um, yeah. You have no idea what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether it's just me or just everyone. I really love chats, like getting a good chance to sit down and chat to polyamorous people. It's like trying to find, again, so it's lockdown's finishing, it's trying to find a few more non-monogamy social groups that I can go to in person and meet. And I'm a member of a really good one called Lovers and Friends where they're very good at like online discussions about different elements of relationships and polyamory. Uh, I'll talk off, if I find another polyamorous person, I'll talk off their ear about, oh, how did you discover polyamory? What's your deal? What do you do? And, it's just like, and I saw your thing. I was like, oh, podcast talking about it. I'm going to reach out for that one because I'll get to talk to people who have an excuse to keep talking about things. And <laughs> they won't like complain when I just keep going on and on about various things and get very weirdly excited about stuff like having dinner with your girlfriend's boyfriend <laughs> also i kind of like helping spread like education and knowledge about it because i sort of sit down and go why do i want to do things it's been a large part of my life recently it's like why i write about polyamory and non-monogamy is i want to help spread knowledge about it i think it's quite not healthy but i think it's very unhelpful this idea that we're not we don't learn about it so I sit back and going, well, wouldn't I have been polyamorous a lot earlier in my life if I'd been taught that polyamory was a thing? Because at least when I was in school with like relationship, where you had sex education, you didn't really have relationship education. And it wasn't like, here are the different options. We because you are straight or you are gay. Mm-hmm. Here's how straight people have sex and where babies come from. And it's like, well, what about other relationship models? It's all just insinuated that the relationships you see around you are what you want. But that's not doesn't make sense. So I like the idea that maybe some of my friends or family or relatives are more aware of poly, one, are more aware of polyamory, which just helps people in general grow. Go, oh yeah, life is a lot bigger than our small parochial life that we have. There are other options. And maybe there are other people out there who are just like, oh, this sounds like it's me. This is the life I want. And I never realized that it was an option because I thought that was non-monogamy was all swingers parties with people in their fit, retired people in their fifties or weird perverts who just don't want to commit and just want to have sex with everyone with no like settling down, which is the thing all of us must want. We must want marriage, buying a house and babies. Anything else is just perversion. I like cheating. Yeah. Cheating. Yeah. It's yeah. The number of comments I get on posts, which is like, you're just cheating. It's It's not cheating. If you're following the rules, it's changing (laughs) the rules is all it is. It's like, it's not like you can't cheat in polyamory. Right. You can break all of the rules and all of your agreements. But yeah, I get a bit passionate about that. I like the whole idea of helping educate people and just spread knowledge that this exists. And it's all kind of getting a bit more aware now. Like, see, there's various celebrities who have talked about it, but like the, like the Smiths. I was watching a video, an interesting video about the Smiths and their alleged polyamory. And there was a thing the other day. Who was it? It was uh, Taika Ratiti. Uh, who was Taika Ratiti? Was it Rhea Ora? And I can't remember the actress's name from Thor. Tessa Thompson. That's the one. Mm-hmm. And they were like all seen kissing each other. And that sort of had a big thing about, ooh, polyamory, non-monogamy. Is that what it is? Or is this just celebrities having fun? It's like, it's sort of coming in, but then there's, there's another part of me going, kind of want any sort of education or public awareness about non-monogamy to not come through celebrity gossip because that's never going to be non-toxic conversation although all the polyamorous people were like but i hope it is because i really love them so much like i hope tessa thompson (laughs) is queer and poly and you can imagine that taika watiti is he seems like the sort of person to do that sort of thing 
and there's like I know there's a lot of talk about yeah it's like Will and Jada Pinkett Smith being non-monogamous and was Willow Smith come out as polyamorous as well I think yeah, that's I was, watch, mm-hmm. I was watching a YouTube video the other day from Tia Noir which was like talking about the various issues in the Smiths version of non-monogamy and various red flags and the things they've discussed and it's just like you have to get someone big who's then and go oh look at these people being a nice example of polyamory but in the nicest world in the world, celebrities aren't known for their very healthy relationship models. And you don't want, because you can imagine a lot of people going, oh, Will Smith and Jada Smith, oh, that got toxic and fell apart. If that happened, I'm not saying it did. Therefore, non-monogamy doesn't work because it didn't work in this one instance. Well, and that's that's actually one of the things I sort of appreciate about the sort of celebrity and high profile people coming out a little bit is I, I think ideally we want lots of different points of view that are available yeah. to people about what might polyamory or ethical non-monogamy look like to kind of inform people in their thinking. Like, I don't know, I definitely don't want to do it that way, but maybe I could do it a little bit this way. Yeah, exactly. I think that's important. And what would be nice if people go, oh, look at these celebrities who are doing what, the, what on earth is ethical non-monogamy or polyamory, and then they type it into the search engine and then my writing comes up or the podcast <laughs> comes up and that all oh yeah people are writing about it, so there's more of us going about this is what it actually is and here are all the options it's not just what you saw on this one especially things like tv shows because i tend not to try and when people say oh have you seen this tv show that's come on it's all about polyamory just as kind of a rule now i sort of just sigh a bit and go no i'm not going to watch it because it just inevitably turns into a very one-sided or toxic view of what polyamory is. And so, oh yeah, polyamory. And you get the classic what... image of the six white people's feet, two of which are men's. <laughs> yeah. The stock image, yes. That's well, so it's like, oh yeah, polyamory, that's the thing that married couples do when their relationship is breaking down. And then it all gets weird when they develop feelings for the person, for the attractive bisexual white woman they invi- invited into their bed. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. Well, I think the the like reach of of poly celebrities or, or open celebrities, whatever, can also fall into the characters they create. You know, like speaking of uh, Taika Waititi, um, he did What We Do in the Shadows. And uh, I've been obsessed with the TV show lately. And all of the characters are queer and kind of open in in different ways. And um, and I was listening to a podcast with one of the actors and they were like, yeah, I mean, he wrote that specifically because if you've been alive for 4,000 years or whatever the case, you know, of course, you're going to be queer. Of course, that's not going to matter to you. Of course, you're going to have an open relationship like that's that's ridiculous. How could you possibly be monogamous for 4,000 years? How could you possibly be monogamous? How could you possibly be straight? You know, like uh, and so I thought that was really hilarious and uh, and and lovely. And so and it makes sense that. that, you know, one of the main writers and directors is uh, Takeo Akiti yeah. because maybe he is, maybe he is that persuasion yeah, well, can, as well. You can 100% imagine that he is. He's just that sort of person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we can, we can accept him into our community. <laughs> yeah. On an honorary polyamorous, if he wants. We all love Takeo Akiti. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Interested in more Polyamory Uncensored content? You're in luck. We just started a blog, polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com. We're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns, 
polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews and guest posts from authors like you if you'd like to be a guest author contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com and you might be able to see your work up on our website again that's polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com and we're going to have some fun new poly related content for you thanks see you there All right, we are back with Tom. And uh, what would you like to talk about today? I thought we'd talk about the concept of constructing our relationships individually. It's the idea of a lot of what we get taught about relationships or assume about relationships is this idea of taking it off the peg. We grow up going, oh, yeah, what is a relationship? It's how we see our parents. It's what we see from them. It's what we see from aunts and uncles and family. It's what we see from friends. And it's that concept of, ah, oh, yes, it's a man and a woman. They get married. They buy a house. They have children. That's it. And as slowly as, like, I would say probably over the last 150 or so years, things have grown up a bit more. But you still see it's like, oh, yeah, there are, like, same-sex marriages and different models of marriages, but they're all very much emulating the idea that we have of marriage. Like, like through shows like Modern Family and other shows, like the concept of married gay characters being married and in like committed long-term relationships is a lot more widespread than it used to be. But they are still in very traditional marriages. You don't seem much new. And something that's sort of grown in my head since I've started writing about polyamory. And the thing I, whenever people ask me, like, what's the one thing that people new to polyamory and non-monogamy should know or what do I wish I'd known before? or yeah, what I wish I'd known when I started, is this concept of it's all there to be built however you want. Our relationships should be there to help us grow. And it's like, you wouldn't, it's like you can't go to somebody else's house and go, oh, I really like that outfit they're wearing. Everyone should wear that outfit. Go to their house, take their suit, get an exact copy made and put it on. It won't fit you. Mm -hmm. It might fit you quite well. You might be able to accessorize it to make it fit you a bit better. But if this person's got a, like, a waistband four inches bigger than yours you can right. put like braces and a belt on it and it's still going to be uncomfortable and i think a lot of people and in like polyamory because like in monogamy we have this idea of this is what a relationship looks like i think a lot of people come into polyamory with a very similar idea of this there must therefore be a way that polyamory looks like so how do I do polyamory? And they look out and they go, oh yeah, polyamory means I've got to be dating another person and my partner has to also be dating another person and in love with them. So it's all fair and equal. It's another little bugbear of mine. And so we've got to be doing it that way and we've got to be comfortable with this thing happening and we've got to do this and this. And it's like, no, that's not what polyamory is about and it shouldn't be what relationships are about. So I think the main thing, especially like we sort of touched on it earlier about what I'm look where I am in my polyamory journey about working out what exactly I want in my future relationships. It's kind of that. It's like, right, I want polyamory or non-monogamy. What do I want out of it? Do I want casual sex? Or do I want to find somebody to be in love with and settle in and have like two or more committed partners? Or do I want both? Do I want to have a nice, loving, committed, nesting partner who I live with and go, yep, we are going to be together for the rest of our lives whilst also having a series of casual relationships? Or do I just want like one night stands? I don't really want to see people more than once. Or do I want to have solo polyamory, have my own house, my own life, which is mine, and then committed relationships with people who I might fall in love with, but I'm never going to move in with them because 
I like my own space and solo polyamory is I think a lot of my friends are doing, especially like as I'm sort of hitting my late thirties and my getting closer to my alarmingly close to my forties. And I've got other friends who've reaching the same age and they're going, yeah, they've discovered that what they want is their own space and they don't want to share it with other people or give it up. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean they want to not have close romantic committed relationships they just want to be able to go back to their own flat at some point and not have to ask anyone what pictures they hang up or what color to paint the walls mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so that's become a large yeah i think that's my main thing when people say oh coming into polyamorous right don't assume that there is a model there is no like bespoke oh you're polyamorous here's how you do it now fit your life in around that it's all about working out the different things that will make you happy and fulfill you and reward you and be worth the time and the effort polyamory will take Right. Like you've gotten off the relationship escalator with monogamy and yeah. now you're going to go get on the relationship roller coaster. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, I mean, yeah, yeah like it's just a different. All you're doing is getting on a different escalator. Yeah. And working out right, what steps do I need to do to do this correctly? And when you think about that, it then sort of starts going like affecting backwards as well and going, well, actually, that should be the same with monogamous relationships. Because I can look back now when I got together with my, my ex-wife. We were 21 because it was just at the end of university, but university finished. So we moved into each with each other and some friends and some housemates. Then we moved into a flat ourselves. Then we bought a house. Then we got married and we were talking about having kids. And it's like, we just follow that. I, was like, I just always follow that and just assumed those were the things I wanted. Mm-hmm. And then we, like, we bought a house. Then we bought another house further out of London. And as a nice example. So yeah, we sort of got one on the very, very edge of the London underground network. So it still took us like, so we were technically, there's a lot. We weren't in London, we were in Buckinghamshire, but it was like an hour and a half train journey into London, but it was on the London underground. But through learning that, because I just assumed, oh yeah, as you get older, you buy, you go further out of the city. Yep. So you can get a bigger house, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Now I know that that's not what I want because I realized over time that actually I wasn't happy not being able to pop into London. And so that's a nice example of, I just assumed you did that because that's what you do in a relationship because so many of my other friends have done the same thing. They've all moved out of London so they can buy a house and afford it, which is also part of just the housing problem, which is a different issue. <laughs> but now looking back at that, I go, yeah, if I sat down and go, oh, what do I want? But I don't want to move further out of London. I want to stay in London. But it's the same with relationships. It's just in like monogamous relations. I know so many people are like, and you can see about various things that they're not happy with what they're doing. Right. It's like, why aren't you happy? Oh, yes, because you've locked yourself into like a marriage and kids because you think that's what you want. I'm not saying that's bad. I also know a lot of people who are locked in and they've got married, they have kids, they're very, very happy. I'm very, very happy for them. I'm not one of these people who's like anti-monogamy or anti all the traditional things. But as long as you want those things, right. I've known other people who've had kids and they're just, you have conversations with them and it's just like, why did you have kids? You clearly resent the fact that your life is based around your children. It's just like, did you really think about whether you wanted them or not? And it's not like we're short of children. There are <laughs> no. plenty of people on this planet just going, oh, yeah, I want to settle down and have eight children. It's like, you don't need that many. <laughs> but if you want, then if less of us had kids because we sat down and went, actually, I don't want children. I'm too selfish. It's not bad to admit that you're too selfish to want children. So I like having my own life. And that didn't freeze up all the space for the people who want to have eight children. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's a big thing for me is this concept breaking out of this idea that there are models of relationship that we will all fit into because it just doesn't make sense. Right. And really just any kind of sort of critical analysis of what do I want? Yes. Why do I want it? How else might it look? 
besides, you know, the sort of obvious ways that we're trained from, you know, earliest childhood to think of, like, Mm. Just really, yeah. I mean, I think that's good for everybody. It's, you know, it's just as good for people who do choose those paths to feel that they've really made a choice. Yeah. Then it also goes, yeah. And then we get, sometimes it's quite hard for people because there's a lot of societal or cultural issues of people like, no, you must do this because that's what we do. Like there's so many people, I'm obviously a big proponent of being open and honest about polyamory and non-monogamy, but I do know more than one person who can't, be open and honest about the fact they're non-monogamous because it's like their family will either disown them or make their life hell. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, I would like to talk about it, but it is just not worth the hassle because their the rest of their life will be their parents and their grandparents and their aunts and uncles shaming them and telling them they're bringing shame down on the family. I know one friend who is a person of color whose like mother has like literally said to them, because why are you doing this white person stuff? Mm. it's just like that's not what we do and it's a cultural thing of no you should be settling down and giving me lots of babies with someone i approve of from our own culture and it's just like a lot of people sort of have yes that's one of the things a lot of it is like work out wanting kids and a family is and to settle into your culture and the way things are done is fine but it's asking that question of why do you want that Mm -hmm. that is it do i want this or do i am i do i want this because it will make my life easier or it'll make somebody else happy. Because ultimately, making somebody else happy is great, but not at the risk of your own unhappiness. I'm right. saying, yeah, I can well, deal it's with it. often not sustainable if it's, you yeah. know, if you're tolerating a situation because you think you're supposed to, like at some point, there's a very high likelihood that you're going to blow up about it. Yeah. You're either going to blow up and it's going to get horrible, or you are just going to live a life happy someone i can't remember who wrote about it there was a really interesting article somebody wrote and it was just on the lines of everyone points out it goes ah oh, grandparents and they celebrate they celebrated 50 years or 60 years they got married at 18 and they were happy their entire lives and they wrote a fascinating article about were they and so you hear all these people who got like in the 30s or 40s who got married at 18 and were together for all their lives because were they really happy or did they just learn to get used to what they had no choice. It was like, well, you want to have sex and move in with the person you love? Got to get married. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, are you unhappy? Sucks to be you. Yeah. Your job is to be a parent, uh, like a wife, mother, or a husband and father. Don't get divorced. No, you just learn to accept who you are, have your own lives, and the husband will go and potter out in his garden shed and avoid his family, and the mother will live in the kitchen and Mm. wait until the kids grow up and then they'll just have a nice life sitting in opposite chairs watching the tv in silence it's like they weren't happy they might have found a way to be happy within their relationship but this like romanticizing of couples who've been together for 50 years just like a successful happy relationship cannot be measured on time right well and also when you think about the availability of reliable birth control and the stigma associated with being pregnant outside of being married. Like if you wanted to have sex, you had to get married and no wonder people were getting married at 18, 19, 20. Like, Mm. I don't know about any of you, but I certainly didn't want to wait at that point in my <laughs> life. You know, your hormones are going 3000 miles an hour and, <laughs> yeah, and it's perfectly that. understandable, but thank goodness we have more choices now and we can 
to a pretty solid extent make our own decisions about when and whether we're going to have children, you know, not perfectly, but pretty well. Yeah. So do you think there are any solid steps people should take when designing their ideal relationship? Oh, I don't know about that. I'm not really. Well, I think, like I say, I think the main thing is that the solid step is sitting down and going, right, one, thinking about what do you want? Going, right, what do I want? And being honest. I think another issue a lot of people have, and I know I had this problem, was being honest about what you want. I think there's a lot of shame, especially when you're trying to do something that's outside the mainstream. Like saying, actually, yes, I've got a crush on this friend of mine. I would like to pursue it. I know there were times in my early, in early relationships where I just even saying I found other people attractive was just like, oh, no, I can't say that. Even just admitting that, yeah, this, I mean, you could do it about a celebrity, but like someone you knew, oh, I had friends I've had crushes on, but even just saying, oh, yeah, my friend's really hot. I really like them. It was just like, no, I can't talk about stuff like that because that would be, that's betraying my partner by finding a person I know personally attractive. Me saying I find so-and-so sexy means I want to have sex with them. No, that's not it. And there's other things, even it's not like that, like being free to talk about like your sexual fantasies or like things that some people might, like for example, for men, anything that might be seen as like non-heterosexual and straight. It's like people are like, like there's an example, anything that involves the butt. Like there were so many men who might be very curious or might very much enjoy it, but like, nope, that would be gay. I can't ask for stuff like that. It has to be me on top, me doing all of the work because that's manly. It's like, it must all be about their pleasure because and stuff like that. So I think a part, so it's, yeah, it's working out what you want and being honest about it. Mm-hmm. Even if that puts what you have at risk, he goes, Oh, I found this person. They're wonderful. I like them. I want this. Like if I found someone who was like perfect, I thought, like, Oh, this is the person I've wanted all my life. They're wonderful, but they were hardcore monogamous. I would have to go, right. I really, I've always wanted someone like this who looks like that and has this personality and has these interests, but they won't allow me to have the freedom. I believe I, I want in polyamory that doesn't work. So I cannot build that relationship because I will be unhappy at some point. Once the honeymoon period is over, I will not be getting something that would that satisfies me and is part of who I am. I think you've just pointed to something very important about, as you think about what you want, what are the things that are absolutely non-negotiable things that you want? And what are things that you want, but actually you could compromise around? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Working out what's the importance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got a sort of on a similar tangent, ta- a friend of mine is like one of her, she had a relationship when she was younger and her then partner like introduced her to the BDSM kink scene and she got really into it and sort of discovered, oh yes, this is me. I love this whole dom sub dynamic. And then that relationship ended and she had another relationship with someone who wasn't interested in it. And so she went, okay, then that's fine. They're not interested in it. I'm not going to push it. We won't do that. And then after that relationship ended, she then went into another one with somebody who was kinky and into BDSM. And she sort of sat down and goes, yes, she now knows that BDSM and kink is like they say, it's a non-negotiable for her. She's now looking back. She goes, yes, she went back into a vanilla relationship and she was just unsatisfied the entire time. As much as she liked the person she was with and she liked the relationship, but this was missing from her life. And so she now knows, yes, she will. that's a non-negotiable for her if someone isn't prepared to be kinky or to allow them her to date other people so she can get that side of her desires fulfilled. She's not going to be in that relationship. So like you say, yeah, that's for her. She's discovered. She thought it was a negotiable. She's discovered it's a non-negotiable. And that's another thing. Well, it's a negotiable maybe in a 
big picture ethical non-monogamy or Holly says each relationship doesn't necessarily need to have this component, but it's a component that's necessary for her. Yeah. And that's one of the many benefits of non-monogamy. It's just like, oh, my partner who I really like has this one thing that I don't or likes this thing or doesn't like this thing. I'll find someone who does. Right. The many benefits. And yeah, I think another, the third element of my, my advice to people is just being aware that things will change. It's like, not go, oh yeah, this is brilliant. I found this. This is how my life will be. It's no, it's that there'll be points where you discover that you like something. You go, oh, this is new. And you might want to integrate that into your relationship. Or you might discover, actually, I thought I liked this, but I've now kind of got over it. This was a nice little phase I've gone through. I experimented, but I don't want to do it anymore. And it's fine to say that. In the same way, and it's, it's always horrible to contemplate when it comes up, sometimes you just have to look at a relationship and go, actually, it's, this relationship's over. We've got everything. Well, hopefully, it's, it will be a case of we've got everything we could out of it. I'm a better person for being in this relationship with this person for this time. But now if we stay together, we won't be reward. Like it won't be fulfilling for anyone, which mm-hmm. is what happened with my marriage. And it was horrible. And I don't re- recommend breaking up with anyone, but I kind of do because you've got to look at it and go, yeah, we'd reached the, we'd been together 15 years and we had reached the point where we were no longer better together than we would be apart. Right. And, and relationship. We don't want to think about it, but I mean, I've given that advice to friends as well at various points where I've just gone, look, it's horrible to think about it, but it sounds that your relationship is over and it's harsh, well, but you will yeah. be happy. Most after. relationships, at least half of, you know, even traditional marriages end. like most relationships do exactly. not last your entire life. So figuring out how to sort of maturely and as kindly as you can end relationships that are in need of being ended. And it's getting over the stigma that an relationship that ends has failed. I think we see that going, no, we can make this work. My relationship won't fail. And goes, no, you're an ending relationship doesn't fail. It just ends. You can end a relationship right. on something other than death. It's not, you've just got to <laughs> right. keep going. It's like, oh death yeah, they were together the until one of them died. That was a good relationship. It's like they were together until one of them was no longer in love with the other. That's a failure. No, that's not how relationships work. It's right. not a win or lose situation. Well, and to go back to the idea of how we do friendships, like yeah. most of our friendships are not static and lifelong. Like yeah. even if you do have very long-term friendships, they probably have some ebb and flow to them. And it's always a good feeling to meet a new person who you feel like you're becoming friends with. And yeah. nobody thinks like, that's terrible. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have new friends. What's wrong with <laughs> your friends that you already had? <laughs> no, Exactly. And you look back at it now and think, oh, yeah, there's times in my life where I'd see like old photos and I look at all the people and all the friends I just had. It's like, oh, yeah, the ones I still see 10 years later, I can count on one hand. Right. Some stuck around, some faded away. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I think there's a lot more. And if you ran into one of the faded aways on the street somewhere, you would probably have a cheerful, warm conversation and be happy to see them again. And, you know, I always remember I had a university friend. And like then went to their, they moved down to Cornwall, so I very rarely see them. And last time I saw them was actually their marriage. And it'd been like four or five years since I'd seen them. And it was like, it hadn't been a day. Mm-hmm. It was just, she's that sort of friends. Like when I see her, our relationship will just be in the same place it was before. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, that's brilliant. Whenever I see her, I don't see her. I haven't seen her since the wedding. And it's that sort of thing. But I think there's a lot more similarities to friendships and relationships than we kind of think there are. We have this weird barrier. So there are friendships 
and there are relationships and they are very separate things. And going, no, they're not, especially in non-monogamy and polyamory. Got a term I quite like, which is just like friends plus, which is like, yeah, I've got a friend and they're like not, they're more than a friend, but they're not a partner. But like, yeah, we'll hang out a lot and we'll cuddle and we may have sex or just make out. And it's just like, yeah, it's just an extra level. It's not friends with benefits. I'm not a fan of that phrase. It's just like, we're just like, it's like a, a weird limbo area between what we consider, society considers a friendship and what society considers a relationship. And I quite like it, Friends Plus. And it's that, yeah. I might have to try that one on. Because I definitely feel like I have a couple of relationships that I think of as friends, but they're definitely like friends with occasionally making out or messing around yeah. or whatever, you know. I've got I've got a friend who I went out the other day and we just went for a drink in London. And when we were walking around, we were holding hands and we kissed goodbye, but we're not a couple and we have right. no plans for that. But it's like, yeah, we are more than, I wouldn't do that with a lot of my friends. And it's quite nice having that nice spectrum of relationships. Everything just builds down to a spectrum in the end that people think is binary. <laughs> there we are. That's the one thing about polyamory. It's realizing that everything in life is a spectrum, not a binary. Yeah, those those relationships are are fun uh, to explain to other people, right? You know, I'm in this relationship with someone. We've been together for like three years. We're not like capital B boyfriend, capital G girlfriend, yeah. but um, but yeah, I mean, we have sex. Like, it's like all these like caveats. Of, I mean, we make out all the time, or I don't know, but yeah, we've been together a long time. You know, it's all these things and yeah. all these. Are we dating? Like, oh, I don't know. Really, but we're not really dating, you know, like <laughs> right. we go we out once a week. Like what? Yeah, we occasionally go out on dates. But yeah. <laughs> sometimes I dog sit for them. Sometimes they babysit for me. <laughs> exactly. Something that had I struck me while we were talking and I, and I just wrote it down as a note is, is are there really any good models of, of non-monogamy or polyamory out there for folks to take inspiration from? Um, and I, I mean, I'm just kind of open this up as a, as a point to talk about, cause I don't really know that many. And, and even when we were talking about like celebrities oh, and things yeah. like Willow Smith has done a really great job as, as advocating for, for non-monogamy, but they're like, 17 or something you know, like they're, yeah. they're so young um and yeah i don't know are there many good models i don't know of any in the media that i could say this relationship i don't think anyone's really i've kind of got a plan one of the my goals i want to write like a polyamory romance novel but not where, where the polyamory is not relevant to the plot or the characters <laughs> at all it's just part of the character's life it's not this is the thing they're sorting out their relationship or, Ooh, let's see them try and navigate. It's a problem story. And the problem is polyamory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like most polyamory stories are, can the relationship survive polyamory or sleeping, having a third in your relationship without jealousy coming in. I quite like to have one where it's just, yeah, here's a relationship and this character and their relationship is polyamorous and they have two partners. And that's just there. But actually it's a detective story. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the problem. I mean, the only one I can really think of, which I do like bringing up, I mean, it's obviously not that contemporary, but I don't know if either of you two have read the Wheel of Time series. Mm -hmm. So they just just done the first three episodes of the TV adaption on Netflix. But it's one of my favourite fantasy. It's a big fantasy series. It's like 14 books. But it's like one of the cultures in that world just has polyamory. And it's just like these, oh, that's cool. and they call it sister wives or like brother husbands. And it's just like, oh yeah, with two people, like if somebody falls in love with someone, but they're already like married or in a relationship, then it's in this relation culture, it's their responsibility to like, so if a woman falls in love with a man who's married, 
it's her responsibility to get to know the wife. And then the wife will go, yeah, that's fine. And then they'll like form a three-person marriage. And obviously it's a very specific type of polyamory in it, but it's like, it's one of the only things where I've seen in like fiction where it's like not questionable to them. They're not making a thing of it. There's just other characters from other more like Western cultures going, this is weird, but it works. And they all just get on with it. Robert Heinlein wrote a lot of stories that have plural marriage. I think it comes up more in fantasy and sci-fi. He has a lot of other problems. I'm not sure I would (laughs) recommend him as a unproblematic writer, but he does write about polyamorous relationships in some interesting ways. Yeah. I think, yeah, you, I read an article once. I can't remember any of the books I recommended, but it was a list of like sci-fi and fantasy that had polyamorous relationships in it. Mm Because I think it just comes out from that because it's a lot easier for people to go, oh, yeah, this isn't real life. It's the far future or a different world. So therefore, people can have different relationship models and it's not a questionable thing. Right. I mean, and you've seen a lot of exploration of gender in those as well. Because, too, it sort of frees people up to imagine things being different in ways that contemporary settings make more challenging. Yeah, exactly. It's all sci-fi has always been the way to explore new things. You're right. It's just yeah, sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, there's a lot of vampire books out there with a lot of polyamory themes. I think Hamilton is her last name. Laura Hamilton is that an author? I don't know. I'll figure yeah, it no, out. I know who you mean. Yeah, and yeah, she writes a bunch of vampire stories, or like the show Lost Girl from who's a Canadian show. Very poly themes throughout. Very bisexual poly themes throughout. Oh, and. Really? Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. The main character is has like a boyfriend and a girlfriend pretty much the entire series. And they're just like, yeah, I mean, she's insatiable. So I guess it's fine. (laughs) They're just like, okay with it. That's the other problem with portrayals in the media, because as soon as you put it in, then there's nothing wrong with this, but it will become about sex. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You never really see, ah, this is a nice, comfortable, polyamorous, like table, kitchen table polyamory. It's always like you say, oh, look at this character. They're insatiable. So they have multiple partners because they want to be sleeping with everyone. Well, this particular person character is a succubus. So she gets her power by having sex with people. (laughs) So it's like, it's, you know, it's a thing. It's the fantasy, right? Like, so because it's a fantasy world and because that's her character, all of her partners must be okay with her having sex with anyone she wants because that's what she does. That's how she survives. And so it's like, um, you know, it is obviously like a plot point. And it makes sense that none of the characters who are human or vampires or werewolves necessarily in the show are also poly because they don't need to have sex with other people to survive. <laughs> like, but yeah. yeah um, but I did like justifications like that. Yes. It was a justification based in the fantasy realm, not mm-hmm. just because she was in love with both of them, which she was, but yeah. Yeah. So I think in terms of in more sort of grounded in reality depictions, I feel like the world of, podcasts and blogs and social media is actually kind of the most current and best available material. Mm -hmm. I mean, and obviously not every relationship is the model that you want to choose for your, you know, imagined role models, but at least there are a fair number of people out there saying, Hey, this is what my life is like. Yeah. I always feel like, yeah, I think like, there's a lot of good like social media representation. I always feel a little bit like it's very one, like two-dimensional polyamory. 
but obviously that's the nature of social media it's 120 characters or whatever because i quite often start like going through like polyamorous polyamorous twitter and scrolling through and it goes well of course that's a thing you said no one's judging that about polyamory but i actually know a lot of people are and this is your 120 character thing and the thing i like about polyamory is this and going well yes but that's not really going into it in any detail like of course it's not it's twitter or it's instagram (laughs) right yes i might I'm writing article like thousand word articles about stuff. That's very different to social media. And I can't, mm-hmm. it's one of those things going, well, if you're not going into it in enough detail, that's just like surface. That's what some people need to see. Yeah. And everything is more beautiful on Instagram. So like the, yeah. I always think about even relationships or depictions of relationships on Instagram are going to have a filter on them. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Instagram, poly, polyamorous Instagram is very annoying because the hashtag just gets you, I'm obviously subscribed to the hashtag, but it just gets used <laughs> so often by swinging or hookup sites, which are clearly cheap scam ones so it's just guys surrounded by half naked women it's like this isn't polyamory stop using our hashtag (laughs) (laughs) this is just a hookup site you're trying to set up it's like uh but you do see some good stuff on there it's always nice just seeing like different models or different representations Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean even me because obviously i'm a straight guy but i see it every so often but like hashtag polyamory and there's a guy with his two girlfriends or his two wives and they're just very happy and they're a good representation, but there's a small part of me going, can I just see some non one male, female, female relationships, please. I just want people to see that it's not just that. It's also women with several boyfriends and different models. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with the people promoting how amazing their relationship is. And for quite a while, I was the guy with two, a wife and a girlfriend, but it's like, I just want more representation that it's different and there's different genders and different, sexualities and it's all a weird smorgasbord of different things that's beautiful in its own way and it scares conservative right-wing people yeah i would say that the polyamorous triad is what a lot of people think of when they think of polyamory and it's one of the most rare um configurations at least in all of the communities i've ever been in i i know only known one triad yeah one or two yeah and that lasted a year and it's just I mean, like, I yeah, know a long-term triad, but it's not a, it's a MMF, not an MF. Yeah. Okay. Not yeah. Women. yeah. <laughs> yes, like, right. wait, lost track of my letters. <laughs> Obviously, you know, like friends who've like fooled around and are just close friends, like say friends plus and they've done stuff, but not like a relationship, relationship triad. I've only known one, but yeah, you're right. I've never really thought about that before. It's, it's more rare, but it's the depiction that is often yeah. sold as like, oh, this is Polly. It's like, well, yeah. not not always, not really. And I think that also is a disservice to a lot of folks coming into the communities because that's what they expect. They're like, this is the depiction yeah. I've seen a million times before. So this my is husband and I want a girlfriend. Is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. want a triad. We want to we want a unicorn. And so they go into the communities and everyone's like, that's not what we do here. And they're yeah. just either disappointed and leave or you know, they, or they learn, which, you know, everyone needs to do that. But I wish that the, the models that we saw, like the, you know, the ethical non-monogamy or polyamorous voices, whatever, weren't saying that that was like the goal or the ideal or showing off as if that is like the thing, the one true way, because it's so rare and so unlikely to happen. (laughs) But it's the fact, I say it's the fantasy. Right. Again, that's a very masculine toxic masculinity patriarchal thing it's the it's the fantasy of multiple people is the guy getting a second woman right so i think there's a lot of there's that's probably a whole other 
topic to be borrowed into <laughs> on a different date about why is this 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 whole concept of either oh, look at me i'm so masculine and attractive that multiple women want me at the same time and are doing it for my own and that's another again there's an element that i've thought about that it's like when my partners my female partners have other girlfriends or seeing other women it's that thing if that's I had to teach myself the whole thing if that's not for me like yes, oh, they're going to go off on a date and have sex with another woman. Mm, or they're kissing their girlfriend when we're all out of the pub together and we're at the same place. You know, no, that's not for my pleasure. It's and that's an ingrained thing. It's like ooh, especially when you're a teenager. Oh, the girls are making out. Let's all watch. Right. I'm going back to like university parties where the girls were all making out for the attention. Right. And it's like oh, we love the attention, or maybe not, but part of it was everyone watching, which is mm-hmm. very creepy when I think back to it. <laughs> Like part of that is going, yeah, I mean, they're going off. I can't then invite myself to join them. Going, oh, I could come right. along as well. We could all have fun. And that's happened. But because they've invited me. Right. Like times where my girlfriend has like met another girl on like OkCupid and they dated her. They saw each other a couple of times and they was like, oh, do you want to come and we can have a nice three-way date? But that's because they invited me into it. It wasn't like me pushing going, well, you're seeing another woman. I'll come too because I want to get in on that because I right. want it to be about my pleasure and my desire. And I was like, oh, yeah got to work my way through that which is yeah on the whole same and you know whatever people want to fantasize about in the privacy of their own head is their own business yeah but (laughs) imposing that onto somebody else is a different thing entirely yeah because that gets onto the whole topic of guys who are like oh yeah it's perfectly fine with non-monogamy as long as it's girls right Mm -hmm. and getting onto the whole one penis policy problem Mm -hmm. like i'm comfortable with you doing stuff with other women but not other men yeah Oh, and I can also sleep with other women as well. That's fine. It's just like, yeah, that's right, another. It's equal. Yeah, it's equal. <laughs> We're both allowed to sleep with other women. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing I'd like to talk about is um, oh. if you'd like to promote your blog at all. Oh, yes, of course I would like. So, yes, you can mm-hmm. find my blog and you can find everything I've got on my website, which is thomashbrand.com. So that's my website. And on there, you can find links to my medium, which would be uh, medium.com backslash thomashbrand. So they're both fairly defined. And basically, I'm Thomas H. Brand on all social media that I'm on. So find me on Twitter, Instagram. I've got a Facebook page if anyone's still actually on Facebook anymore. <laughs> but they mainly all just like self-promote my articles. So yeah, my medium is all about yeah mon- non-monogamy, polyamory, and just modern relationships in general because it all bleeds into each other. Mm-hmm. On my website, you'll find more about my books and my write- my general writing and just my own personal life blog, but also links to all of my polyamory stuff as well so yeah find me on instagram yeah thomas h brand on instagram and twitter is where you'll find me most posting the most (laughs) all right um anything else that you want to say or add anything we failed to ask that you wanted to talk about no i just want to say thank you for having me on it's been a great little conversation Mm -hmm. it's always nice being able to sit down and have a proper conversation with people like this Mm -hmm. so thank you very much for having me yeah, I'm glad we were make, able to make this work out because I know we've been chatting for a, a minute on through email trying to get a, yeah. get a day for everyone. So yeah, like, I'm glad it's worked out. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for reaching out. And this was a lot of fun. Best of luck with all of the writing and uh, other work that you are doing and hope it all continues to go well. Thank you very much. It was lovely chatting to you both. Yeah. Bye. 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 <laughs> And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. 
You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.